friend Jonas Stava to come up and join me. Jonas uh, is a MTW missionary. He's a church planter, an ordained pastor serving in Norway. And uh, what's particularly cool is Jonas is himself Norwegian. So he is, um, he's the real deal. Uh, Jonas is going to preach tonight. Uh, come on up, Jonas. We'll uh, uh, welcome you here together. He's going to preach. And then he agreed after the service, he's going to hang out. We'll do some Q&A. We can ask him anything you want to know about Norway. And I'll confess, for most Americans, we don't know much. Beatles fans know that somewhere in Norway there's a Norwegian wood. There's a, a song about that. And uh, the Vikings came from there, apparently. And that might be the edge of our knowledge. So we're so thankful that you're here uh, tonight, and it's a great joy to welcome you. Thank you, Jonas. We are glad that you could join us. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a great privilege to be here. Uh, there's a Norwegian stereotype usually that Norwegians, uh, I think skiing is kind of the one sport we're actually good at. Uh, we do win a lot of gold medals in, in, in skis. And uh, people always ask me if I like to ski, and I, I do like to ski. But we can talk a little bit more about that afterwards. I'm going to share something from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Abraham's blessings to the nations. And we see a lot of changes in our culture today. Uh, I think that in some ways, really because of the internet and many other things, uh, just the last 30 years, I think the internet is, might be the one invention in history that changed the world the quickest. Some people have said it's like the printing press, but you add up the speed with 10 times. That's how quickly information flows. And that's how quickly things change now. Things change now maybe 10 times faster than before. And sometimes that can produce mixed feeling in us. Sometimes good feelings, sometimes bad feelings. But we have to keep in mind that the promise that God gave to Abraham has lasted civilizations, it had lasted empires, it had lasted for maybe 4,000 years, three to 4,000 years. It survived all kinds of situations, all kinds of climates, and all kinds of challenges. I mean, 4,000 years, that's a long time ago. We don't know ha have the exact date when, when God spoke to Abraham, but we can certainly say that it's a long time ago. And it's an incredible thing when God gives this promise to Abraham, and that this church today is a result of that. The promise to bless the nations. This church has a role to bless the community and to bless the nation. So we are direct fulfillment here today being gathered from this text. But sometimes to understand how to react to the future, we need to understand the past. And therefore, I would like to go into the text of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. But I would like to share a story of encouragement that's related to this. As I was standing in Oxford looking at the memorial of Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer, 
the martyrs of the Protestant Reformation in Great Britain. Uh, I, I came to think a, a lot and, and reflect a lot over the things that were written. When the young King Edward I died in 1553, his half-sister Mary, or better known as Bloody Mary, took over the throne. She was a staunch Catholic and started to persecute all kinds of Protestants. In the midst of this turmoil, pro prominent Protestant leaders like Cranmer, Latimer, and Ridley were charged for preaching Protestant doctrines. And one of the doctrines they were charged in particular for preaching was their understanding of communion. Imagine yourself being burnt at the stake for having a different view on communion. Some things are better today than before. Not everything, but some things are. And as I was looking at this statue and, 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 and studying church history and the memorial in, in Oxford Street, it's, it's a beautiful place to visit if you get a chance to see it. You see this big statue of these three martyrs. They were burnt at the stake. And when they were burnt at the stake, you see a comment that you might have read before that was, that, that was said from Latimer to Ridley. He says, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Imagine yourself being burnt at the stake. It seems like God sovereignly had put Bloody Mary on the throne. The Reformation was losing. This is not like a, a victory speech. You're being burnt alive. What a terrible way to die. There is no indication at that time, no, no implications that suddenly there's going to be a different Protestant king or queen on the throne, and now the Reformation's going to win. They're losing. And in the midst of that loss of the death, he, he really gives almost a prophecy or says something at least that becomes prophetic that there is a fire that will never be extinguished. It is an amazing thing to say in the midst of death and loss. It's prophetic. There is no indication that this death will actually lead to victory. And it shows that there is an unlimited potential in a person who is willing to take a courageous stand. And courage is the most important of virtues. And we see this here, how that plays out in the Reformation. England becomes Protestant afterwards. And we really see England sh really shaping the whole world. And England has done a lot to, to bring the gospel to the world. I mean, America, the American Civil War was really a civil war with England, breaking free in the American Revolution. And America has done a lot, maybe more than, than any other nation, to actually bring the gospel to the nations, sending a lot of missionaries and, and doing a lot of other things, bringing the biblical worldview to the nations. So in a lot of ways, what's happening here in this historical event with these people being burnt alive, it starts something and it attaches itself to the promise of Abraham that's being fulfilled and that we today are fulfillment of. And we will continue to be a fulfillment of that promise. So let's look at this great promise that was given to Abraham. Let's learn from this to understand how God used Abraham in the past and how we can learn from this and be a blessing 
to others in the future. There are three things I would like to look at. Number one, God speaks to Abraham. That's what's happening in the text. Number two, God commands Abraham. That is what is commanded. Number three, God promises Abraham. And there is an attached uh, promise that's given here. What is happening, what is commanded, and what promises are attached to that command. We begin with God speaks to Abraham. God speaks to Abraham, or which eventually will become an exalted father, which is what the name means. It's important to understand here what happens before this, the Tower of Babel. It's very important maybe even to read that story, but also to remember the story of the Tower of Babel. Because Babel, people try to achieve righteousness with God. They try to become God, trying to replace God, building a tower that would reach the heavens and replace God. So tower represents man trying to do the work of God, to become like God, and to produce divine results without being God. With Abraham, things are different. And note here that God speaks to Abraham. It is not Abraham that speaks to God, but it's God that speaks to Abraham. With Abraham, it doesn't start with a group of people. Let's do this in our own power. This is God's power doing it. It was God's voice and words that gave, gave life to creation. It was Jesus' voice, who is God, who woke Lazarus to life. And it was the voice of God who regenerated and gave Abraham the ability to respond. And you might think, well, what about Abraham? Was he just the best man that you could find? Just a terrific guy. You're not going to find the best guy that I can find out there. I'm going to make him a blessing to the nation. I'm going to use this person. We don't actually know that much about Abraham. He was a pagan sinner and really a nobody. He, he might have some good qualities and some bad qualities. We just don't know that much about him. And I believe that's exactly the point of the text. At this point, as he was a pagan, we don't know about much about his pagan life. And I think that's exactly the point the Bible wants to communicate. Abraham is not important, but God is important. It is not about Abraham, it's about God. God called Abraham to be an instrument in his hands to change the world. And the faith of Abraham afterwards, after God speaks to him, become an important part of this. But it really is an illustration of that God picks someone, really a nobody, and makes him to do great things. And we often see that in the Bible and in church history, how God uses very insignificant people to do very significant work. I mean, Abraham is one example. Moses, maybe the greatest leader in the Old Testament, was a guy that couldn't speak properly. Let's pick the greatest leader today, and we're going to pick someone that was not able to speak. That doesn't make any sense. But Moses is one of the greatest leaders. David was the youngest. He was a shepherd. Rachel was barren. Ruth was a pagan Moabite, which was not a good thing at this time. Jeremiah was too young. And Paul, the chief of all sinners. I mean, God chose someone who had that reputation of hating and killing Christians. Zacchaeus was a traitor. And we can say with this that we are in a great company of sinners that God uses to do very great things. 
Another example of this is George Mueller. George Mueller was a terrible dude before he became a Christian. He was just a very bad person, and he would say that himself. But he converted and gave his life to Christ and built orphanages for thousands of thousands of children in England, and God provided for him. He really just relied on God to provide everything that he needed. And one of the things that he said was that we have yet to see what God can do through a person that's fully committed to him. When you take a courageous stand like Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer, and all these other biblical figures, we can see what God can use that for and what he can do with it. And we see that in particular here with Abraham. And that brings us to the second point. God commanded Abraham. What was it that he was commanded to do? Go from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, give up your culture, your city. And this is a highly family-oriented culture. Uh, at this time, Mesopotamia was a very developed place. They did not have iPads probably, but I think they had a lot of really sophisticated stuff, at least compared to other places. It was certainly better to live in a place like that than living in a desert. You give up your family relationships and you enter into the desert. You could be robbed. You enter in, into uncertainty. You have no security. He cannot take care of his parents or his extended family. He goes from a very developed place to a very undeveloped place. It's kind of like moving from a first world country to a third world country. Abraham had to empty himself. He had to become a nobody for God to use him. He had to empty up all his idols, which he probably had family idols that he got from his family. He had to give up his security before he could become an exalted father of us all. It's almost like God takes someone and empties him and, and really finds a nobody so he can shape him from scratch. Completely the opposite of what we see with Babel. We can do this ourselves. We don't need God. But with this, it's completely God's work. There is nothing profound about and great about Abraham. What's great about him is that he trusts in God. He denies himself and give up everything because he knows that God is the one that has to do the work in him. I'm sure he did not have an extended understanding of that at the time. But he clearly was willing to give up everything to follow God. So something about this God was different than all the other gods. And all this for a voice speaking to him. Today, if you enter into the desert because a voice is speaking to you, you will be put into a mental institution. But at Abraham's time, it was different. They had many gods. And the question is, why should you listen to this god? He could just pick a family god that allows him to take care of his family, to stay with his family, and have security and be safe. But it is this sense that God is taking this person and building him up from scratch. He's giving up all his idols, emptying himself so he can be powerfully used by God as an instrument in his hands. And we see the same thing with Latimer, Ridley, and Cramer, how they also gave up their lives, their security, everything they had at a time when it did not look like they were going to win. 
was the same thing with Abraham. Let's enter into the desert. And there is no guarantee that things will succeed. You have to just almost blindly trust that God will provide and give him everything that he needs, even though there really is no visual evidence that this is the case at the time. And it's the same for all of us. We have to give up our idols, just like Abraham. It could be security, money, being liked. It could be pretty much anything that we put in the center of our life, whatever comes more important than God. Abraham had to give up his idols for him to be used by God, and we have to give up ours. And we have to let Christ become our security. And one of the hardest things in Norway for, for people to give up is security. I think a lot of Norwegians value security maybe more than anything else, being safe, being secure. There's nothing wrong with being secure, with being safe. But when that becomes a replacement for God and something that's more important than God, we have to offer that up and say, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know as Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says that he saved us by grace, uh, by grace through faith and he has put completed works before us. The plan is put before us. And when we walk into the uncertain in his plan, then we will do the right thing. And he will be able to use us in ways that is beyond our imagination. Uh, in church planting, and I, I made many mistakes in church planting, and uh, we planted churches in Norway since 2018. And um, I've been a part of there's two church plants, there's the third one coming up soon that's planted by uh, another family. And one of the things about church planting that it, it is extremely difficult, but it's also very unpredictable. You know, we have three kids, you know, and, and, and a family, and, and you really don't know what's going to happen the next day. I've seen churches collapse overnight, going from 40, 50 people to just being a few people left. And there's a pastor I know, a friend of mine, and he he, his whole church split. Uh, this was not one of our churches, but uh, uh, his whole church split, and uh, there's just a few people left. And he continues to preach the gospel, even though he has gone through some extremely difficult things. There's an incredible level of, of faith and faithfulness in this person. And I, I would not personally be able to do that. But he planted that church, and he, God has called him to stay there, even though there's just a few people left to shepherd. And I'm talking maybe like five to six people, seven people. What an incredible faithfulness. Most people would have given up. This church cannot be saved. I'm just going to leave. But this is what God has called him to, so he continues to do that. And that's the one of the things with church planting. It is very unpredictable. You just don't know always what happens next. And you might have to move even after you settled. I think we moved, we lived, I think if we do count correctly, we lived eight places in 10 years. And that's, that's challenging with, with children. It makes it much more challenging when you have, have three kids under six. But if God calls you to do this, like he will sustain us. He will give us the energy and the power to do that. And you might be called to do something different. Whatever you are called to, the most important thing, be faithful to the calling that you have. And that brings us to the third point with Abraham. God promises Abraham because there are promises attached to the command. Verse 2, God will make Abraham a great nation, bless him and make his name great, and he will be a blessing to others. 
Verse 3, those who bless Abraham will be blessed and those, uh, and those who will dishonor him will be cursed. And all the families on earth shall be blessed. In verse 4, we see that Abraham went with Lot. Abraham was not called just for any reason. He was not just called that he could live his best life now. Abraham, I want you to be very successful, live a great life, be happy. You know, be psychologically happy. Maybe that's one of the greatest you know, idols today. It's, everything is looked upon in terms of psychology today. That's not what God told Abraham. I really want you to be comfortable so you and your family can be safe. That's not what God told him. He will be blessed so he can be a blessing to other people. And the Hebrew word here for blessing is a much richer word. I think when we think about blessing, unfortunately in the Western world, we think about that as a material thing. We think in terms of the material. The biblical Hebrew word is much more uh, rich than that. It means material blessing. I think it can be interpreted like that. But it also means righteousness, life, salvation, and also to be in a relationship with God, which is the greatest blessing of all. Abraham is, is blessed with all these blessings to be able to give those blessings to the world. And this is being passed on through the patriarchs, the kings, and all the people in the Bible until Christ. And eventually, Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice and the one that is a continuation and, and, and which he passes on to the disciples, and that we are part of today. That's been sustained all throughout church history. Whoever put their trust in Christ, repent for their sins, and put their trust in Christ, will have redemption. And we ought not just to be saved so we can be saved, but we are to proclaim that to other people. So salvation here is primary. That's the most important thing. We want to proclaim the gospel, of Jesus Christ, so people can be reconciled to God. That's the promise of Abraham. But there is also another aspect to this, where we want the nations to be healed and, and to be blessed. It is an interesting statistic here. From 1901 to the year 2000, 654 Nobel Prize winners came from 28 different religions. 65.4% identify Christianity as the religious preference. So the biblical worldview, and there is a lot of research that's done with education, human value, human rights. You could make a long list of things that we benefit greatly from today. The Judeo-Christian worldview has tremendously shaped, I think America may be, be the greatest manifestation of, of that today. We have been tremendously blessed, most importantly by the salvation of Jesus Christ, but also by, by living in, in a place with peace with political stability, and, and all the things that we enjoy in our lives. And with that, we should not become prosperity preachers, you know, become a Christian because now you can be successful. When we look at the fruit, we should be driven towards looking at the root. What kind of tree produced these fruit? And with that, there is a whole gospel message. And it's actually a, a, a strong apologetic argument to make. If the city on the hill is shining, if it's a beautiful and wonderful place to be, it's built on the Bible and the biblical worldview. Could it be that the words of Christ is true? And with that, the gospel can be shared and people can be reconciled to God. 
So we have a calling to proclaim this good news and to be a fulfillment of Abraham's blessing, just like Abraham was in the Bible. But we can try to do this in our own power. We can do like the people of built the Tower of Babel, try to build things to achieve the things for God. But we cannot do that. We know how the Babel ended, and we don't want to end like that. What was it that gave Abraham, Latimer, Ridley, and Cramer the strength to do these things? What empowers us to be the fulfillment and not to enter into legalism or antinomianism, lawlessness or legalism? How can we avoid that and stay gospel-centered? Well, we have to be in Jesus Christ and focus on Him alone. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Just like Abraham, who gave up his rights, Jesus Christ gave up his heavenly rights. He gave up all his security, all his comfort, and all his privileges sitting on the heavenly throne to come down and to empty himself and to become really the perfect exalted father of us all, pointing us to the father in heaven. We see that also with Abraham in Genesis 22 that Abraham had to sacrifice his son. We see in verse 2, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withhold from me your son, your only son. And this is the mountain where was said that God will provide. So already with Abraham, we see there is a promise that Abraham does not have to sacrifice his son because God had already, with Abraham, promised to sacrifice his son. And it's not Abraham's son, but God's own son, Jesus Christ, that became that final sacrifice. And that makes the blessing and promise of Abraham possible for us all. It is the sacrifice on the cross that makes this possible. And even though sometimes we have to sacrifice things. I mean, Abraham sacrificed and gave up a lot of things. These sacrifices are not unimportant, but they're nothing compared to the sacrifice of God giving up his only son on the cross so we can be reconciled to him. And it's because he died for us, that his grace was given to us, that we have the power and the strength to go out there and to bring this beautiful blessing to the nations. We have a calling in our community, in our family, wherever we are and we have put us. And sometimes we can think that, well, I'm not called to be a missionary, I'm not called to be a pastor, but you are called to be all those things. There was a man recently that said he was called to be an academic missionary, a professor, and he called himself an academic missionary. The universities is a great mission field today. So is it, you know, to be a mother and a father, and you could really list and name everything. Abraham is not great because he did all the great things he did. He is great because he was faithful with the very calling that God had given to him. And we need to keep that in mind that 
we are not called maybe to go to all the nations. We are called to be faithful exactly where God has put you. We'll be beheld only to that. And that might be right here or another place. So let us fulfill our calling, proclaim the gospel, heal our community and nations, and fulfill the promise that God has given to us. Because he died for us. He gave up his only son for us. So we can go out there and we can live for him and to bring this blessing of the nation, to the nations and to the world. Let us pray.